Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Katie Stubbs and I'm a Communications Officer for Alzheimer's Research UK and I'm pleased to have been invited to host this special podcast for the Dementia Researcher website on location from our annual research conference in Harrogate. So today I'm joined by three early career researchers and the aim of what we're going to do is to discuss what has been going on here over the past three days, talking about what we've seen and heard, particularly for those who haven't been able to make it here from across the UK and dementia researchers wider audience across the world. So just to let you know a bit more about our conference. So um, the Alzheimer's Research UK conference uh, actually started back in the year 2000 with about 30 people attending. This year we've had over 500 people coming. So it really demonstrates the growth uh, in the number of researchers here in the UK. Um, on Monday we had our early careers day. There was uh, PhD talks. There was also some kind of workshop sessions too. And then the main conference over the past two days covering a range of topics, so different types of dementias, different research themes as well. So some of those featured this year have included vascular dementia and DLB, neuroinflammation, early diagnosis and prevention. Um, so joining me on the panel today, uh, I have Dr. Chris Hensridge, Dr. Christina Toomey and Fiona Calvert. So just to go around the table, can you just say who you are um, and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Dr. Chris Henstridge. I'm a senior postdoc at the University of Edinburgh. I'm in that kind of tricky transition phase now of senior postdoc into uh, independent PI. Um, so I'm going to be moving to Dundee in three weeks' time. And my main research focus really is on the changes that occur in the brain during health and disease, uh, in particular during normal aging processes, but also diseases like Alzheimer's disease, which is why I'm here, but also uh, more neuron disease. Uh, I'm Fiona and I'm a final year PhD student at the Wellcome Sanger Institute. My PI is uh, Dan Gaffney and we at Sanger love sequencing things and I personally love sequencing microglia. So I basically work on all things microglia. They've become the obsession and bane of my life during my PhD. Um, and so yeah, so I've done some sequencing in primary cells and in vitro models. Hi, I'm Christina Toomey, so I'm at UCL and I'm funded by the Dementia Research Institute, working under Professor Henrik Setterberg's group, but I'm also based at Queen Square Brain Bank under Dr Tamarin Lashley. And my main uh, research aim is to basically look at the pathology of different types of dementia and then match that to looking at proteomic biomarkers in the same diseases and trying to bridge the gap between the two. Fab. So I, I know from having been here that you've all had posters and talks. So do you want, uh, Chris, you had just the one poster or was there? Yeah, I just did one poster this year and it was something a bit different. So something I'm not really used to doing or, or presenting, actually. So as I mentioned, my main focus really is on brain changes in health and disease. But I realised after working in Edinburgh for the last four years or so that I've never actually met somebody with Alzheimer's disease, which seems crazy. Um, so what I did was I tried to set up and establish a scheme in Edinburgh to increase patient and public involvement in dementia research. And we called this a dementia buddy scheme. And effectively what we did is we tried to pair research groups with people in the community living with dementia and basically set up a kind of bi-directional knowledge exchange between the research groups and the people living with the disease. And so this is the first time I've done anything like this. It was a small pilot kind of scheme that we put together with just six research groups. And the poster that I presented was kind of how we set this up, how it was established, and some of the feedback that we got from the participants and the research groups at the end. 
That's cool. So cool. That yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So Fiona, you were one of the early career researchers that uh, had the chance to give a talk. How did you find it? Yeah, well, I mean, that room was pretty intimidating. <laughs> when I walked in on Tuesday morning, I was like, whoa. If anyone that doesn't know or hasn't ever been to Arrogate, it's like a full theatre. Um, but it was really great. This is a big project that we've been working on, a really big collaborative project, um, working with neurosurgeons to collect primary microglia samples, Um, We were really lucky. We managed to collect over 100 patients um, and run some kind of genetic mapping studies in those cells. And so it's really exciting to go out and present this to kind of everyone. I feel like we've worked so hard to collect the data and do the analysis that it's nice to come out and show that to everyone. And Mm -hmm. we work at an open access institute. And so it's nice to be able to kind of give people a hint about what's coming and what data they'll be able to access from us. Cool. And Christina, you've had a poster as well, haven't you? Yep, so my poster was looking at the differences and similarities between um, proteomic data sets for Alzheimer's disease and frontal temporal dementia. Um, And interestingly, the Alzheimer's disease um, and the TDP subtypes of frontal temporal dementia had some differences, um, and especially the TDP subtypes actually had their own unique signature um, individually, so maybe they're more individual diseases rather than different Mm -hmm. subtypes that's where we're kind of hypothesizing at the moment um but yeah it was really interesting to talk to people and manage to network a bit and get some future collaborations potentially going perfect that's what we love to hear Um, we always say that conference is really important for forging collaboration so that's what we want to see um so were you guys around on monday did you make some of the the sessions yeah i did yeah what yeah. did you think? What was any standout highlights for you? Um, for me, it was really refreshing. The last session of the day, I think it was both the postdocs and the PhD students combined, you did a work-life balance session. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy that came in and talked to us about mental health, it was so refreshing. It was fantastic. He stood up at the front, no slides, no preparations, and was just really honest about like how kind of mental health has impacted him. And I thought that was really refreshing uh, a conference to actually have some, a session like that. It was, was nice really to hear from other researchers that they had similar feelings mm. to you and I don't think it's talked about enough actually. Yeah. And I think it was really nice for people to know that they weren't alone yeah. in their I think feelings. It, I think it takes somebody quite confident and brave like him as well to stand up there yeah. and do that and speak to people openly and honestly about his experience because I think it did relate to quite mm. a lot yeah. of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. I also really like the flash presentations. Oh, at the, at the start. start, yeah. It made me like pick posters to go and see during the main conference that I wouldn't have seen based just on their mm-hmm. kind of abstract or title. Um, I'm now obsessed with the idea that cats could be used as a model for dementia. Yeah, that's that's so cool. <laughs> I think in the postdoc session as well, Tara Spires-Jones gave a really good summary of the fellowship application process as well. The sort of really important things like the person project in place and how you really have to emphasise why you particularly meet those criteria. Yeah. Um, but also it was interesting to hear that they've removed the post-PhD year limits now for their junior and senior uh, fellowships, mm. um, which kind of follows along with the MRC I think, yeah. policy as well now. So it gives everybody a kind of more equal kind of basis at which to apply, I think, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. I also think the media workshop was really good uh, practice for us postdocs because um, if you're trying to answer questions in the media, you just not sure how to pitch it really Mm. and what terminology to use so it was really good to practice some of those questions in case you ever get asked in the future great yeah that's i think that's really important that researchers um feel confident in how to break down their topics and also that yeah if you are doing media stuff 
you're often asked things that are outside of your specific area of interest, but actually you're still an expert compared with the, the, the people asking those questions. The general public want to know more about the things that we all know. So, yeah, I'm really glad you found that useful. Um, and then what about like the main conference? So we've had a couple of, we've had the kind of standard talk formats, um, but then we also had like a panel discussion yesterday about the benefits and challenges of early diagnosis. And I found it particularly interesting hearing the, the different viewpoints and how we're going to have to kind of take on board some of these changes as we move forward. But what, what did you guys think? Yeah, uh, I've got sort of mixed feelings on the panel discussions. So what, I mean, I think they're a good idea initially to get these big names up on the on the stage. They talk about their ideas or expertise and quite a nice summary of the current situation in the mm. field as well, which is really good. The one issue that I tend to have with these things is that once it's opened up to questions, it tends to be the same five or six kind of big names that ask the kind of typical similar questions that you often hear. Um, I think what would have been great is if um, there was maybe an opportunity for specific questions from early career researchers mm. um, to kind of ask maybe some of the more unusual questions. Mm. Um, and one of the questions I had as well is, is who, who really benefits from a more accurate diagnosis? And the reason I picked up on that was one thing that Emma said, who was on the panel, and she mentioned that it was suggested her father may not have actually benefited at all from having his formal diagnosis. Mm. Um, so at that point, who really yeah. benefits from that? So the clinician, I guess, maybe feels good because he's got the diagnosis correct, mm. but that patient receives no real benefit from it. So yeah. I was quite interested to hear what they may have said about something. I think it, it would affect how research is done, though. Exactly. So I think yeah. it is still helpful in the sense of better clinical trials, so not muddling groups together mm. and being able to really uh, stratify how to do the trials. Um, but actually, it was really interesting because it led to a, an entire debate between our group as well um, <laughs> on whether we would want to know <laughs> if yeah. we could yeah. have a test now, yeah. whether we'd want to yeah. know. And um, yeah, we got really mixed answers because actually there's not much that can be done now. And I think mm. that was the thing that kind of came out from that discussion that yeah. Not much can be done now, so yeah. is it worth knowing? But I think the key was that hopefully in the future we can work to have things done and uh, it will make a difference, so then you would m maybe want to know a bit more than you do now. <laughs> mm, I guess it's that thing of like diagnostic research and treatment-based research, they have to progress hand-in-hand hand because yeah. we know about picking people up. So yeah. I think... Uh, it was really interesting what Leslie Jones asked a question. Well, she made more of a comment about uh, reflections on her work in the Huntington's field that now that in the last few years we've had these really positive media stories about some of the trials for Huntington's and that the therapies look like they're working and they're in trials and that is changing how families affected by Huntington's are seeking a diagnosis and, and their own perceptions of that. And so um, certainly for me as a, a comms officer, I think there's a lot of work for teams like ours to do in framing this these these potential questions these yeah. potential areas of progress and how we actually get take people along that journey so that actually what happens researchers don't get really advanced and think well this is a great thing without realizing how it yeah. impacts yeah, yeah. on people affected by these diseases yeah i thought there were some really interesting things that came up in that panel discussion around engagement with the public and, mm -hmm. and people with dementia i thought one of the really interesting concepts i think someone asked a question i can't remember who it was and they were saying about how we as a group of people and a group of researchers need to be careful about the definitions we use for things because it can lead to kind of confusion amongst the public about what different things mm -hmm. mean and it's something in genetics we talk a lot about when you talk about increased risk of getting a disease and what that really means to people and 
and the confusion around what that means. And I think that was a really interesting thing. You know, the difference between Alzheimer's disease and Alzheimer's dementia is something that I hadn't really considered before and something mm. I'll definitely take away from that panel discussion. Yeah, um, I, in the work I do, um, engaging with the general public, a lot of people will say to me, my, my, my father's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia. And there is a lot of confusion mm. in what those terms mean in a diagnostic setting um, and what the difference is between the disease process and the disease symptoms yeah. that, that manifest as what we call dementia. So, yeah, I think we're struggling with language that's outdated. Yeah. I think mm. it's even different between the researchers because yeah. we would classify that as pathological ageing. If they haven't got the symptoms and mm. the dementia, then that's more pathological yeah. ageing rather than Alzheimer's disease. So I think there's a lot of different terminology mm. that different people are using and that's something that needs to be clarified mm. so that we're all on the same page really. yeah. I think also this is, this is why it's important I think for research teams to actually interact with people living with dementia because it's these kind of issues with language that you begin to pick up on and you mm. begin to realize okay we need to be more specific in how we talk about these different aspects of disease mm. and often when you're just in a laboratory it's not really an issue it's not mm. a question but it's by meeting these people yeah. um, you discover where you have to improve your language and yeah. understand Cool. Um, and so also um, ahead of that, that panel discussion yesterday, um, uh, Philip Shelton's gave, um, I think, quite a hopeful uh, plenary session about where he sees things are going and actually kind of covering where we as a field have, have come to. Um, what, what did you guys think about the, the plenary? Was there anything message wise that stood out for you from that? I think the, the, one of the biggest things I got from that was, unfortunately, a kind of negative aspect based on the clinical diagnosis that people receive today is the same diagnosis they would have got in 1984. Mm. So in, in terms of the clinical diagnosis, it hasn't really progressed in the last 20 years uh, plus, uh, which is quite striking. But obviously around that, yeah, there's certainly hope um, mm. which has been generated and I thought he summarised it really fantastically well in, in yeah, his plenary yeah. talk. It was really, really I also really enjoyed how um, we talked a little bit about how make, making these diagnosis tools and the biomarker things accessible and scalable because I do think that that's a problem sometimes within research is that that we come up with all these great tools and kits but they can only work if you have a fancy MRI machine mm. and, and then you come across all these diversity issues where that hits a very select group of the population and so making a conscious effort to make sure that the tools we're developing are accessible to everyone and to anyone you know across the mm -hmm. country and across the world is something that I think is really important. I think on that kind of note I think the part that I took from that talk was that the confidence in the diagnosis increased over the years even though the diagnosis itself wasn't too different um, and that not much has changed in what diagnosis they receive but the, the confidence that the doctors have in giving the diagnosis has increased which I think yeah. is important as well. Yeah, actually, the, on that kind of diagnosis theme, I found the first talk of the whole conference from John O'Brien really interesting in how he's talking about the, the differences in diagnosis around the UK for dementia Lou bodies and the work that him and others have been doing to support clinicians in making, making those judgments. And actually, when somebody comes with subjective memory complaints, probing around hallucinations or other um, symptoms they might not have thought could be could be something to do with the memory complaints as well. So yeah. I thought that was that was very good. I think actually one of the things that a lot of people said to me off that talk was he showed the graph of from time to diagnosis to the point where somebody passes away and how much more rapid that was for dementia Lou bodies. Um, yeah. That was quite something I hadn't realised. Yeah. Um, I thought his talk was, was really good. Um, DLB is not really a disease that I'm particularly 
fully aware of, to be honest. I don't know enough detail about it as I probably mm -hmm. should. And I thought he summarised it really well. Yeah. And it really struck me at just how many different symptoms there were as well for DLB and clinically how to try and diagnose that with all of these different things happening at the same time. Mm. It was really was really quite striking. Mm -hmm. um, so thinking over the kind of the whole of the conference, are there any particular themes that you've spotted working their way through the, the different sessions? I think neuroinflammation was one of the big ones. So um, Professor Hugh Perry gave a great talk about uh, where we are currently with neuroinflammation. And I thought the um, like hypothesis that he gave that we should be working towards um, looking at the um, heterogeneous type of microglia rather than the ones that are increased in phagocytosis or decreased in, in phagocytosis was really um, good and I think that is the way that we need to go because there's so many caveats to either going one way or the other and I think that previously the field is very much focused on that, yeah. on, on them being in one state or the other and I think actually we want them to be homeostatic. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. I'm all about the neuroinflammation hype me. <laughs> um, but generally, like when you talk to kind of people in the GWAS field or the you know, the people that work in the genetics, they are always pushing this neuroinflammation because like the genetic evidence really does point us in that direction. And for me, that's what the genetic evidence is great for. I remember writing an article about this of to me, the genetics is like when you find the outside pieces of a puzzle, like it doesn't tell you everything, but it kind of gives you that hint as to where mm -hmm. to start looking next. And I think the genetic evidence does start to point us in that direction of looking at neuroinflammation a bit deeper. Yeah. I mean, I think for a long time, the field has been very neurocentric in mm. terms of its research focus. Mm. And um, I guess it's a good chance to plug a uh, review from last year. Uh, this year uh, Nature <laughs> Reviews Neuroscience uh, review that I had with Tara Sparse-Jones. And we talked about this non-neuronal aspect of especially the early signs of, mm -hmm. uh, or the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. And I think um, that encapsulates not, not just microglia, but there's astrocytes, there's yeah. a neurovascular uh, unit which is breaking down, there's all sorts of things mm -hmm. going on before you s really see any mm -hmm. brain cell loss or brain cell degeneration. And um, it's clear from, from the meeting uh, this week, there's a lot of focus now on this non-neuronal aspect. Yeah. Of mm -hmm. That's the thing I'm really interested to see like next year coming back, whether we start to see some of those other cells, like the astrocytes, yeah, creeping in a bit more. Yeah, becoming more and more of a focus. I know we're starting yeah. to look at it more in our lab. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, microglia has been, a focus for a couple of years yeah. now but yeah that's still increasing and um, but I think that is the answer to look at all cell types yeah and, and see how it all works together as well not just look at one yeah I agree. Uh, in isolation yeah. yeah I mean I think like you mentioned the genetics the genetics clearly gives us an indication that microglia are important it's mm. an obvious place to start as you move away from the Eurocentric view um, but I think certainly the astrocytes are going to be a big thing. Uh, we've got a few projects in Edinburgh as well that are focused specifically on astrocytic mm. roles in, mm. in AD. So I think there's going to be a lot to come in that, in that area. Cool. Um, and do you have any, do you have like a one moment highlight or is that too much of a hard question? <laughs> like was there, was there a favourite, what was your favourite talk? Let's go for that. I guess mine's a little bit biased because I really like the, the prize talk from Jimin mm -hmm. uh, this afternoon. So he won the David Haig um, Early Career Researcher Award. The reason I think it's a bit biased his uh, selection is that I collaborate with Jimin. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been doing some analysis in his mice that he described, but he's done some really incredible things all the way back from first identifying TDB42 mutations as a, um, a causal uh, mutation in FTD, all the way through to generating new fly lines and now the first knock-in TDB mouse model. And mm. some of the data he's generating from that new mouse model is really cool. And it, it's found... Uh, a really fantastic link between TDP changes and tau, which are obviously two big major mm. uh, hallmarks in your generation. 
Yeah, no, I did when uh, there was a slide put up where he talked about his work at UMass on flies. And I was like, wait, is it going to be? And he mentioned Mark Freeman and who was someone my work kind of touched on when I was doing my PhD. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. yes, someone I know, like outside <laughs> of the kind of main, main yeah. focus that we often get. Yeah. Yes. What about you, Fiona? For me, it really was the panel discussion. So like I, I come from a very kind of molecular geneticity background like we don't often think that much about the clinical side of things mm. like biomarkers and things like that and so actually for me that was really interesting because it's an aspect of this research that I don't get to see very often and I think that it for me the biggest thing about this disease is the way we're going to beat it is by collaborating and by bringing together so many different aspects of science and and so for me listening to things that are kind of outside what I normally listen to was the best bit. Mm. Yeah for me I was actually really impressed with uh, Jackie Nimmo Mm. who was an early career researcher doing a presentation again and without going into too much detail she was looking at the drainage pathway and how different uh, proteins that accumulate in the different neurodegenerative diseases are differently cleared from the vessels and I found that really interesting Mm. and I thought she was really good in the way she portrayed the information and, and presented it. Yeah, I thought, to be honest, the standard of the ECR talks this year were really fantastic. Yeah, um, definitely. Very well. Yeah, she did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, I'd like to see maybe a, a couple more, yeah. but um, I thought the standard was, was really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's, we're always really interested in, in the feedback that we can get from the conference because it is an evolving thing. It's We have different groups of researchers kind of t- doing it each year with our kind of overall guidance and it does mean I think a few years ago we trialed some flash presentations in the in the conference itself I think we had them last year as well and it's a it's a nice way to try and test out a few new things so yeah it's good it's always good to get feedback I also um, think it's really nice to get from the early career search like the real cutting edge stuff mm-hmm. about what people are doing yeah you know that real mm-hmm. and like that excitement for what they've been researching that's mm-hmm. what I think that you get from the early careers researchers definitely I, I think what I like from a kind of communications perspective is that early career researchers seem to be really good at focusing on like one area because mm-hmm. that's they probably haven't got that huge back catalogue and actually I think that sometimes muddies the water when you do get okay. some more senior mm-hmm. people presenting that it's a cover of everything they've done in 20 years and yeah. actually what we my my trick my thing I tell everyone when they're doing talks to the public I'm like pick one thing and mm. tell them that and I think it's the same communication tool that researchers need to have when they're giving science talks is you know you can't tell your whole story yeah. but tell one bit really well yeah, yeah. and that's exactly what early career researchers do I think that do. does come across actually yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a good way to put it cool um, any other highlights anything um, that you what's what would you go tell your friends about about the conference uh, for me it re- really has been like how kind of open everyone has been to chatting about research collaborating I, I come here and I'm the only one here from my lab this year and it's been really nice like chatting to people and so many people have come up to me and been like oh we're really interested in this could you just have a look at this for us and and that I think is something you don't always get really really big kind of huge conferences but mm. kind of these conferences are great because you know, you get a real sense of who's working on what and who can help where. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah so what I, like, what I like about ERUK is that it's a big enough conference that you can get excited about it. There's going to be a lot of good mm-hmm. stuff to see and hear about, mm. but it's small enough that almost every person you bump into is probably a PhD or a postdoc from somebody's lab that you know or yeah. has worked in another lab. And so it feels like quite a close-knit uh, mm. community. And because of that, I think it is very open and mm-hmm. a very friendly uh, place to come and uh, present your work. 
Yeah, yeah I agree with that because um, I've been coming since the beginning of my PhD and every year like it just gets better for me because I know more and more people yeah. within the dementia community and I'm having more and more discussions about different parts of research mm -hmm. and I think it's, yeah, it's just really great for fostering relationships. Yeah. yeah, I think this is my seventh, so I came four times as a PhD student and now three times on the other side as staff and uh, yeah, I just love it. I'm a massive fan of it. So glad you guys are too. Um, so I think we can pretty much start to wrap up now and, and get back to the final session at Talks. Um, but I think it's been really good to hear about the, the different themes, certainly new inflammation coming through and the, the challenges that early diagnosis can present to us. Um, I think one of my highlights has been uh, the dogs that we've had here at the conference <laughs> yeah. centre. Yeah. Having everybody's um, love. Ace and Kel, who are like such good Stars. doggos that are just like yeah. sniff everything. Um, and them running after the balls when people yeah. throw tennis balls for them has been yeah. Yeah. So I think that's something we, we will take on board and yeah. always have conference dog uh, from now onwards. Um, so you guys are all on Twitter. I'm pretty sure you're on Twitter. Do you just want yeah. to share your handle so that if people want to find out more about you, they can do that? Sure. So I'm just at CM Henstridge, which is my last name. Um, and if there's a chance to pitch something else as well. So as I say, I'm yeah, just, just moving to set up my own lab and I have a PhD position on offer. So if you search for my name and go on to findaphd.com, there's a really exciting PhD project there. And what are they going to be doing? So that's going to be characterising the human synaptic proteome in ALS. Oh, very cool. Uh, my Twitter is at Fee Calvert, Fee with an F, um, and I tweet about mainly microglia and also storytelling, which is my other passion. So come and listen to some stories on my Twitter page. <laughs> <laughs> my Twitter handle is at Christina underscore Neuro. Um, try to keep it on the neuro theme <laughs> uh, but yeah we like to tweet about all the papers and the things that our lab get up to so public engagement activities as well so yeah cool. feel free to follow yeah. um, and my personal twitter uh, is Katie L Stubbs most of what I tweet about is outside research UK focused and public engagement and me getting excited by things um, for anyone who wasn't able to make the conference and wants to see some of the stuff that's been said, um, just look up the hashtag ARUKConf and uh, there's hundreds of tweets on there about all the different sessions, lots of discussions as well. Um, you'll be able to find out more about our panellists on the profiles that will come with this podcast, so you can see their handles there as well. Uh, I'd just like to thank them all for taking the time to join me today. Um, and please remember, it's my favourite bit, I like saying this, <laughs> to rate, review and subscribe the podcast. It helps other people find it and it helps the, our audience to grow. Um, so tell your friends and your colleagues. It's on SoundCloud and iTunes. And just a huge thank you to thank you guys you. for coming along today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. Thank you.